is the Storymobile podcast. We are a solar-powered moving art space that travels to events and through neighborhoods to collect your stories. The St. Paul Almanac book was created in 2005 and has since been released annually. The goal is to bring together the diverse community of St. Paul through literary arts. The Almanac is a meeting place for sharing stories and artwork of our community. This year, the St. Paul Almanac released their 11th volume, On a Collected Path. As part of a reading festival, authors have gathered at various venues throughout St. Paul to read their fabulous work. On Monday, May 22nd, at Golden Time Cafe in St. Paul, readers gathered to read their pieces from St. Paul Almanac's Volume 11, On a Collected Path. Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming out tonight to uh, Golden Time Cafe. We are here to celebrate, welcome, enjoy the 11th volume of the St. Paul Almanac. I think most of you have seen it by now, but uh, for those of you who haven't, uh, this is it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Um, uh, the, for the format's incredible. If you don't have one, uh, you can buy them uh, at, at, at the counter. Um, if they run out, I have some available as well. Uh, if you do have one, you can always buy a second uh, or more. So one thing I've heard a lot from the, uh, from the readers coming up here is... Um, um, the, the painting for my piece is so incredible. They have pictures for, for each of the uh, uh, readings, uh, for each, is, uh, uh, each of the pieces in here. This is just um, uh, one example, but the uh, art interspersed with the literature, I think, really, really brings it to life, uh, gives it more of a, a feeling of place, really kind of makes it really makes it pop. So I also enjoy the fact that it uses um, a lot of different genres of literature, uh, a lot of poems, prose, essays, uh, an interview all across the board. There's, uh, there's uh, tons of stuff in here. So um, yep, uh, pick up a copy uh, after the reading uh, if you haven't done so already. Uh, tonight we have, let me count the one, two, I believe we have uh, uh, seven readers from the Almanac tonight. First, I'm just going to go over the names uh, in the order they'll be reading so everyone knows the order they're in. And if you are reading and you don't hear your name, please please say something. <laughs> uh, uh, for, uh, in order, we'll have Ethna McKiernan, uh, sorry, Ethna McKiernan, Mary Kay Rummel, Clarence White, Michael Gauze, Linda Shaw, Melody Lupke, and Gordy Palzer. We'll get started, and first up we have Ethna McKiernan. Ethna McKiernan is the author of three collections of poems, Caravan, The One Who Swears You Can't Start Over, and Sky Thick with Fireflies. Wildly published in anthologies and literary journals, she has twice received the Minnesota Arts Board Fellowship in Literature. McKiernan earned her MFA from Warren Wilson College in 2004 and works as a homeless advocate in Hennepin County. Please welcome Ethna. I was tickled when this appeared because a lot of my poems tend to be dark and this one isn't. It's called 99 Sheep. I move toward the zone of sleep, but it eludes me. There are sheep on the other side. Their little baas and bleats fill the air. Below my bedroom window, 
the scrape of metal shovel hoisting snow. Close to midnight now, back and forth it goes, another irritant in the ether. Then the wanderings begin. How do squirrels live till spring? Why is the mind an elastic thing that curves memory until it bends into another form? Where have I put that new tube of toothpaste? Could I hire a hitman for my supervisor? And please, how far away is Mexico this long, long winter? Come, little sheep, lead me home to sleep. In my last book, I had a section of maybe 12 to 15 poems about the people I encounter. I work as a street outreach um, advocate going out to camps and under bridges and trying to help people hook up with resources. And this is one of the, the poems from that section. Um, it has several different scenarios and voices in it. It's called Dear God of Homelessness. Oh God of the trumpet red sunrise burning through the tarp above my tent. Dear God of the warming jeans on the clothesline locked between two trees. God of Dan's sleeping form, let him wake and light the fire for coffee. Let him not be too hungover from dreams of Gulf War fires or from vodka. Let peace roll over our small camp as it deserves to roll. Lord of Shelterdom, I've been to your floor mats on Curry Avenue. I've watched more crack pipes brighten in the night than the board security officers have seen. I've had my shoes stripped from me in the night and have been punched when brushing past another man's mat while getting up to use the john. Lord, I've entered your chapel of the Salvation Army and felt no salvation there where I've almost spit God on you, my God on you. Yawa of joblessness, when the plant closed, the kids and I became a rudderless boat, careening through deepening waves. Jonah hates the shelter bus ride to school. Jane's too young to know. Today I walk to welfare to complete more forms, then to a market two miles away for dinner things, then to the diabetes clinic for my checkup. My feet burn, my toes are fat cows. Holiness, I have no bus fare. Rain down, oh, rain down, you desolate, blessed God of homelessness. You, with your large hands, play it out. Bestow on us every clement bit of justice that you own. For today is a day tender as April, and it carries the shudder of goodness. And a last one uh, written up at Lake Superior last fall. I'm headed there again Friday. I can't wait. Storm, Lake Superior. If ever I were to fall in love again, it's likely not to be with someone human, but with a moment just like this one, a lit expanse of water during storm, forked by lightning from sky to lake, to lake some crazed color between silver and white, light flashing staccato below a gray band of clouds, waves that bluster in while wind billows and thunder rumbles, 
deep. There I'd know a hum of both aloneness and collection, connection. Sky brilliant and alive, stars electric after rain. The aftermath of storm searing through my brain with a depth I've never known. Thank you. Next up we have Mary Kay Rummel. Uh, Mary Kay Rummel grew up in the West 7th area of St. Paul and lived in the city for many years. Her most recent book of poetry is The Lifeline Trembles, which won the Blue Light Press Book Prize. Please welcome Mary Kay Rummel. I'm going to be one of the ones that shows the pictures because I just love these pictures. Um, my poem is called Lilacs and Harleys, and it's set on West 7th Street. It's kind of like from when I was growing up, the time I was growing up, and the first page has got these great, this great photo of Harleys, and the second page has got this great photo of lilacs. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's beautiful. Lilacs and Harleys. On West 7th along the Mississippi, sagging houses and narrow streets discharge teens born during the war and just after. Like cornucopias, cornucopias droop over, sorry, I guess they're, lilac cornucopias droop over sidewalks, scent the edges of drive-in parking lots where we love to saunter. Saddle shoes crush fallen blossoms, scarves circle our junior high chins, bright badges of sophistication. We eye the boys in fishtail chevies, watch older girls balancing trays, root beer, burgers, deep fried onions. In a cloud of greasy vapor, motorcycles roar up West 7th from the Harvey Davidson shop. My disbelieving stare trails Cookie and Rose, their short bleached hair and leather jackets, riding behind bikers, crows and bare oaks crying, you can't, you can't. One night, Big Dave offers me a ride. On his huge black Harley, my long braid flying in that joyous wind, I cling to him, senses open like mouths shouting, yes. Yes to the long, lolling tongue of the road. Yes to West 7th, transformed to ridge across hills, shining Aegean below, or become a white trail up mountains where moose cavort through drifts of snow. Yes to the clouds blooming lavender. Yes to grand bazaars and cobbled streets. No to staying home, my mother's anger, my brother's fights. My pulse like a stadium of fists, punching yes, yes, yes. Later I walk with Kathy and Sharon past dark crowded bars, ankle deep in tenderness and lilacs, the roar of Harleys in my blood. And I have, I have another one here, too. Um, I went to St. Joe's Academy, which is just down the road on um, Western and Marshall. <laughs> and uh, this is a poem I wrote for the St. Joe's Academy reunion a few years ago. It's called, it's called Reunion. There's a great photo here, too. It's not St. Joe's Academy. It's 
the chapel at St. Kate's, but <laughs> it looks good. It's a St. Paul landmark. Okay, reunion. Remember how the sisters taught us ladylike to sit with our legs together, gracefully rise, fold our napkins, bow with grace at dances in the gym. Remember the yards of net they brought to hide the cleavage we wished we had to show all of us lined up for prom inspection. We couldn't wear our Orlan sweaters tight or roll net petticoats beneath a cinched up belt, a circle skirt. We changed to wool, blazers, skirts, narrow or pleated, worn to Saturday games. Remember climbing the St. Paul Hills past smoldering curbside leaves, air gritty, wood ash and smoke. We emerged from clouds of chalk dust with scratchy 45s in yearbooks. Row after row of girls with bubble cuts and page boys, white collars, puce saddle shoes, monograms, and pea green jumpers. We couldn't see what was coming, marriage or not, screaming babies, adolescent furies, a future without any pattern. We thought there was nothing we could alter to fit our desires like dresses tried on and dropped to the floor. But the 60s made no sense of choppers, a polished wall, funeral trains, and smoke in the streets, madras, bras or not, hair like flags of imaginary countries. Now Elvis purrs and growls at the grocery store, snarls and twangs above our chains of flesh and time. Come and celebrate the light before our knees lock up and eyes glaze with cataracts, years whizzing by like road signs, all roads arriving at the same destination. How will we unfurl in that cramped space where the hyphen goes, 59, 69, 79? Remember the word at the margins at the end of every year, Love, 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 love. And I'm going to read one more St. Paul poem. This is, this is a new one of work, working on, new. It's called Over Boneyards and Gardens. Say how bleeding hearts drip rose pink as my great-grandfather nearing a hundred walks, hands folded behind his back, watch chain hanging from his black vest in the garden of the whole old house in St. Paul. His fine mind sees a mill-fleured island, hawthorn and heart-shaped blossoms. Tell how the Irish crooned at night in two languages, seeded colonial language with lilt and song, one the clay, the other the hand that shapes it. Say how my mother loved English, how my grandmother hated the British, how she carried body memories of famine, believing there would never be enough. The mind of history is never still, its black thoughts ravens, its white thoughts gulls, tossing and cawing. Tell how each month the cousin John O'Connor stood at my widowed grandmother's door with money for her five young children how he was the infamous chief of police who took bribes from Al Capone in St. Paul. 
Say Aram Lilies, Acrobats, Bats, and Angels. Sometimes a young gymnast flips down a verdant street. You, watching from your porch in the golden hours, put down your drink and loudly clap. Uh, next up we have Clarence White. Clarence White is a writer, editor, and publicist living in St. Paul. He is a master of the personal letter and too many emails for which send has been hit with too much haste. He has worked as a writer for the National Farmers Union in Washington, D.C., the International Organization Nonviolent Peace Force, and several Twin Cities nonprofits. He is a 2011-2012 Givens Foundation for African American Literature Retreat Fellow and was a finalist for the MNArtists.org Mini Stories Flash Fiction Competition in 2008. He is a primary author of the Clarence White blog and is a veteran of the Central Minnesota Writers Workshop. Please welcome Clarence. So thanks to Golden Time and Stephanie and Michael uh, for providing this great space and time for us. That bio is old. I need to do something about that. Um, yeah, I have... Uh, I'm fortunate to have one short piece, oops, and I lost the page. One short piece in, in this edition of the Almanac. Um, it was written on a typewriter at the back of uh, CHS Stadium where the Saints play. Uh, um, I did a bunch of typewriter poetry there a couple of summers ago and um, Actually, this was one of the nights when I wasn't doing it, but uh, Cheryl Rilgren Klein, who was, was the art director there, had a typewriter for another event, and I sat down and wrote this. And um, I don't know, maybe those of you with a trained poetry ear, which I don't have, will notice, but um, there was no editing of this. It wasn't edited. This is how it came off of the typewriter, pretty much. Um, so, but it was written on the 60th anniversary of the uh, sister city relationship between St. Paul and Nagasaki. Um, and it was actually given to the mayor of Nagasaki, not St. Paul, Chris Coleman. I may have a copy of this, but uh, if he does, he probably doesn't know where it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's the story behind this. So, um, if you have any edits, it's too late, but you can keep them in your head. So, it's called Nagasaki Sister. Nagasaki, thinking if we are supposed to remember or look to our glorious future, wondering what we must both, or, or wondering if we must do both, and look in the mirror of gladness and sorrow, each of us searching for that twin to reflect those emotions still raw and still a memory to reconcile, working out our salvation one anniversary at a time. Since that one was so short, uh, I have a maybe a couple other short ones to read. And these all definitely need to be edited because they're new. Um, see, and I'm doing this like the cool kids, reading from my phone, like my eyesight is good enough to do it, but. 
but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. This one's called Bird. Some days her world swirls around silhouettes of birds and crickets, trees and grass, and a wind of love that ties them, wraps itself. A yellow yarn gently curves around the spaces of light between them, writes a tune on some schoolgirl parchment, secret letters written faster than the schoolboy crushes, boys who decades later scribble a birthday note that still does not understand. Still, she smiles, sketches another avian tale, nocturnal dreams, love songs on the wind. When we were children, we lie on our backs, concert of chirps to the moon, blades muted of green tickled our ears. Then ash and elm protected us from what might rain, unaware of some original sin of beetle, bug, or boar, or the latest transgression that predates our ancestors' consciousness. Leaves bark, leaves leaves, leaves stump where mother once kept us, leaves us to knit our own grown-up morning songs. And I'll do one more quick one, um, which is also an experiment. I have to pick which experiment, not that one. I'll do this one. It's called The Brilliance of Angels. This life is a dream from which you will not wake. Afterlife, harps pluck out brilliant colors in three dimensions, but land on flat sheets in pencil gray, sepia tan. You thought you were smarter, or we thought we were smarter, a little more brilliant, vibrant with sparkles, even a firecracker. Still, this must be purgatory. There are no angels here. Have we talked about things that are brilliant? Do we avoid them, those angels, ashamed of our dull, dusty beige, can't play a tune even on one simple string, trying to fight our way out of sleep, out of darkness, out of a paralysis, tangled and trapped in sheets, sweat, terror, empty gasp, no air. That is when we forget for a moment about our pride, being brilliant, just long enough for an angel to save us. Maybe we wake up, are saved, undammed for a moment. But we are gluttons for slumber, twisted in bedclothes, paraphernalia, bedpost fetishes, warbled me melodies of anthem, comfortable ex excuse for not so bright, laid out on something less than satin. This coward sleeps a thousand slumbers. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Uh, uh, next up, we have Michael Gauze. Uh, Michael Gauze has taught German, sold men's clothes, and stocked diapers at midnight. His writing can be found online and in print. Originally from Tennessee, he now lives in Minnesota, where he is trying to write a memoir and be happy. Please welcome Michael. I'd like to thank everybody for coming out tonight on uh, 
nice warm night where you'd probably rather be sitting on a patio. Um, so there's a bar in downtown St. Paul with a really good beer, great patio. So I like to go sit on that patio, drink that beer, and watch people, as a lot of people do. And last year, I realized that if you sit and watch people long enough, sometimes they watch you back. My piece is on page 284, if you'd like to sing along. He wasn't there in the beginning. I think that's what piqued my interest. I'd have to scan the square twice before he even registered. With so many people straining to be noticed, it was intriguing to see someone actively content with anonymity. He was always dressed in the latest Goodwill stock and sitting on the edge of the ham courtyard acted more like a potted plant than a patron. I started watching him months ago when my relationship was in trouble and I felt the need to open my world and explore. The first time I saw him, I jumped as he was sitting not five inches from me for an hour and a half before I noticed. After that, I found myself scanning the crowds in my own personal Where's Waldo. It didn't take long to realize I was watching another watcher. He took in his surroundings, one after another, replying once in a while with a huge grin to no one in particular. Hipsters checking their bedheads and shop windows, suburban couples risking the deadly city for some ice cream, urban vampires perpetuating death as a way of life. He took in one after another seamlessly, face, clothing, walk, face, smile. No one escaped his gaze, and I found myself more and more intrigued with the idea of playing voyeur to another of my kind. Over the summer, I must have seen him 20 to 30 times, just sitting and watching and waiting to smile. One day, I decided to break the wall and talk to him, partly, I think, to prove he wasn't a mirage. I sat down in the chair next to him and, after a minute, broke the silence. You watch people more professionally than anyone I've ever seen. You're getting paid for this, right? He smiled, his gaze never altering from the landscape. After a moment, I realized he may not have heard. It was another full minute before he spoke. It's like listening to other people's conversations and trying to figure out where they're from. I paused so as not to upset the flow. Yeah, but you never get that close. They're just walking by. One one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand. Still, it's the same thing. You just have to work with what you've got, like semen. One one thousand. Did he just say two one thousand? Sailors. They knew sun by itself will only tell you so much. They used other things. The position of the stars. Yep, more than that. He took a sip of cold coffee and another drag from his cigarette. One one thousand, two one thousand. It's not all that different with people, but with them, you're not just determining their position, but theirs, their direction too. You, his voice caught itself as if it were about to fall, then let go. You start to figure their place on the timeline, theirs and those around them. You too. I had been watching the flow of people while he spoke, but his last words made me turn my head. 
He was looking directly at me in a way that said, not only had my clothes disappeared, but my skin and bones as well, leaving nothing but a confused vapor floating in a cheap patio chair. I said goodbye before heading toward the east end of the court toward home. When I looked back to wave, I thought of the impossible network of lines you could almost make out, infinite constellations expanding and converging like breath. I saw myself expanding forward and back. You were there too, along with this story a few months in the future. And there in the center, something else, a faint twinkling light like an old sailor's face starting to smile. Thank you. Linda Shaw grew up near St. Paul and spent lots of time, uh, spends lots of time there when she was young. Married with two teens and an adorable but anxiety-ridden dog, she works for a nonprofit and spends her free time at St. Paul coffee shops with friends or at concerts. Please welcome Linda. Okay, my story is on page 202, and it is told uh, from the point of my 20-year-old when she was about three years old, three or four. Sidewalk dogs. For some reason, my first memory of downtown St. Paul isn't of watching the winter carnival on a brisk winter afternoon, or going to the farmer's market with my mom and grandma, or even of taking dance lessons at the dance studio next to the Italian restaurant where I started my short-lived dancing career at age three. The day I fell in love with the city of St. Paul was a hot summer afternoon when people and dogs shared the sidewalks and smiles and joy were shared in abundance. It was a Snoopy Fest in downtown St. Paul with all of the decorated statues on display before they were to be auctioned off. I knew of the famous Beagle and owned several of his videos, but I had never seen so many of him before. It didn't matter what the statues looked like or that they were much bigger than my four-year-old self. But some were pretty strange looking. Yellow, red, blue, checkered, rainbowed, Van Gogh, even green like a lawn freshly mowed. My parents and I strolled for a bit, me sitting atop my dad's shoulders, until one of us would spot another statue. And the next thing I knew, dad set me on the sidewalk and I was posing for a photo with Snoopy. People around us seemed to enjoy watching me have my photo taken, and I, in turn, had fun watching them have their photos taken while I waited for my turn again. Soon I became a pro at sidling up to the dogs and looking cute for the camera, or posing like I saw another kid do for his parents. The afternoon passed quickly as we zigzagged from one side of the street to the next, discovering new and even more fantastic-looking statues whenever a group of people moved on to the next. Soon the shadows were lengthening and the summer air began to cool off, signaling the end of that magical afternoon. We headed home and a few days later, those statues disappeared after they were auctioned off for charity. But I would still see some around. One was placed in the hallway of my elementary school, one at the entrance to a local business, and of course, some remain in St. Paul. The college I now attend even has one on campus, but I swear, Snoopy being here is not the reason I chose to go to this school. Whenever I see one of those colorful statues, I think back to that afternoon and being part of that happy pack of people sharing the sidewalks 
discovering the beauty of canine art and each other. Uh, next up, we have Mer uh, Melody Lukey. Uh, Melody Lukey, originally from Cleveland, is now a um, sorry, yes, uh, originally from Cleveland, is now a proud resident of St. Paul. After moving here to be close to her daughters, she quickly discovered the wealth of activities and venues in St. Paul and became a live music junkie. Her writing background consists primarily of poetry and short stories, and her artistic endeavors include jewelry, uh, jewelry making and photography. Melody is also a massage therapist, choral member, and most importantly, the grandmother of three youngsters who live in St. Paul. Please welcome Melody. All right. Wow. Um, little did I know you could read another poem or two. So while I was waiting to read my St. Paul Almanac poem, I remembered two of my haiku. I'm in a practice now of writing daily haiku, and I'm calling them Everyday Beauty. And here are two samples that might be kind of close to how I wrote them. The magic of rain. What was once a mere puddle has become a pond. Kids at the bus stop. Invisible trampolines keep them in motion. <laughs> when I first moved here, I noticed that this is a town or towns or many towns of serious traffic in Cleveland. Rush hour is we slow down for a little bit and then we're done. Um, but here, no, it's pretty serious. But it's also kind of worthy of note and it's also something pretty. Tapestry on I-94. The threads of streaming travelers weave into and among the smooth gray pathways, tangling and untangling in perpetual patterns of fluctuating flow now snarled, now fluid, all accentuated by double dancing headlights, mesmerized by their communal tire hum. Tentative first sun glow throws hints of the day ahead, interpreted simultaneously as promise or obstacle or intrusive glare, cataloged and filed away and abandoned at the curve as the next interweaving beckons. One small dimpled patch of pavement is visited by many, the impatient, the kind, the scattered, and the frightened, who whoosh ahead, leaving a trail of red glow for those who follow, marking the trail. Protected by cushions and rubber and reinforced glass, these wielders of shiny metallic engineered marvels paint daily masterpieces of simple sunlit choreography and rush onward, oblivious of their stunning contribution to a space thirsty for beauty. Our final reader of the evening is Gordy Palzer. Gordy Palzer is a lifelong resident of St. Paul who grew up in the West 7th area and now lives in Highland Park. His lifelong writing odyssey has taught him that the older he gets, the more clearly he sees the extraordinary in the ordinary. Please welcome Gordy. Hey, my story is on page 50. The bus that was a time capsule. When you are in an historic moment, you know it, and you remember it forever. It was 1955, and I was on the number 14 Randolph Payne bus as it sizzled its way past Schmidt Brewery in the future site of the second McDonald's restaurant in St. Paul. 
I was nine years old, and I remember still the stifling heat of that mid-August day, a day so hot that with all the rickety bus windows up that could stay up, you could hear the melting tires slapping onto and coalescing with the molten pavement. I had gone downtown to escape the heat of our house and the boredom of late summer vacation. And if I never knew before that I was different, I learned it that day because I was having thoughts more akin to an anthropologist or a historian than a nine-year-old boy. I looked at all the people on the bus that day. The driver slumped into his seat, energyless. Several what we now call senior citizens, women in skirts and nylons and men in woolen pants and rolled up sleeves. A young mother with her brood in tow and the youngest and squirmiest in her arms. Teens seated randomly, and yes, listlessly. And even a couple of janitors on their way to their evening shift of cleaning buildings downtown, arrayed in dark gray khakis, black shoes, and white socks. And all of us mindlessly rocking and swaying and bouncing in harmony with that rickety old bus too overheated to expend energy conversing. And then the lens of the camera that was my brain clicked and the scene was frozen forever in time and in my mind. This bus was a time capsule. And metaphorically speaking, all its riders and drivers, driver were locked together in its amber. Oh sure, we would all still manage to get off at our stops but the bond forged among us by our being on that same bus at that time would hold us forever together in this time-governed world, forever. Every time I drive by the old brewery and hear the West 7th pavement again molten in heat, I wonder what became of those fellow riders. More than likely, all those seniors riding with me in that day are gone now, and the driver too. The mother of those children is likely a grandmother now, and the kids' parents themselves. Some of the teens are retired now, I'm sure, and some living in other more temperate parts of the country at that. Did some go off to Vietnam, and did they die there without my knowing it? Would any of them, did any of them, sense, along with me, that we were inextricably bound together by our shared downtown run? Had we all had our sensitivity and awareness elevated that day in that unbearable heat so that mystically, magically, we had all come to sense our shared cosmic interrelationship? Will we ever meet again in some far off world or distant heaven? Will we remember each other? Will we hop a bus together and share our stories as our reunion bus sizzles along a future Fort Road <laughs> and we are no longer bound by schedules and responsibilities. I turn and look out the passenger side window of my car and pose these questions to that old brewery each and every time I drive past it, even now in its renaissance. And as said as ever in its stolid, stony silence, it always tells me to wait my time and hold tightly onto my transfer if I am ever to learn the answers.
Thank you. Before we conclude, I want to give a big thanks to Stephanie and Golden Time for hosting us tonight. Uh, I always enjoy this space. It's it's great to be here, and uh, uh, they have a fantastic open mic on Thursdays. Is is it every Thursday? Uh, every Thursday evening, they have a great open mic uh, that I that I encourage everyone to check out. Uh, that's our reading for tonight. Thank all of you for coming out tonight on uh, such a gorgeous evening. I um, it's, uh, there's plenty left of the evening to enjoy, so uh, uh, stick around. Um, I'll be sure to get a copy of the book if you don't have one already. Um, uh, most importantly, I want to thank all the writers uh, who uh, participated tonight, contributed uh, their, their pieces, their works, uh, so that we could have this evening and also the, so that we could have the almanac. So thank you all very much <coughs> for reading tonight. To hear more stories, learn more about Storymobile, and to find out where we'll be pedaling off to next, visit storymobile.org. <laughs>